Hello there, church family. It's good to be with you this week uh, through our podcast, our midweek roundup session where we look at our sermon from this past week and talk it over together. And so we're looking forward to doing that today. We've got all the pastors here uh, with me. And we've been in Ephesians for a while, continue to be in Ephesians. This week our focus was on Ephesians chapter 6, verse 14, really just the first section of verse 14. Verse So you could say 614a is probably how you would see it. Uh, it says, stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And, and so we start to enter the armor of God, a very famous passage. Uh, kids love to study about it. Teachers love to talk about it because there seems to be a practicality to it. You can draw on the board. Well, I couldn't draw on the board anything, honestly. Um, or you could get a picture, I guess, that'd be better, of a soldier. And the kids can see it, and it just makes it visual. Has a sword, has his helmet, has got his belt on, got his armor, got his shield, right? And so Paul has been talking about for a little while now this whole armor of God and how we need it to stand fast against the wiles of the devil. And we're called to stand firm, to understand that there's a battle that's taking place that's not with flesh and blood, but in the spiritual realities, in the spiritual realm. And God hasn't left us alone in this. He's given us everything that we need to be able to battle against these spiritual forces. It's not something that we talk about too much. Uh, I would say growing up uh, in this church, growing up Baptist, you would hear about it some, I would say, about knowing there was angels and and demons and Satan in this battle, but I don't know, uh, maybe not explained fully all the time, kind of just seemed a little uh, mystical. Uh, but it's not it, it's true to reality it, it's happening and we see it play out in flesh and blood but there is that battle that's taking place behind the scenes causing what we're seeing happening in flesh and blood and so Paul wants to point out to this church and to us to say God in his great grace has filled you completely with the spirit we have to remember that he's talking to spirit-filled believers and he says part of this being filled with the spirit is, being given the full armor of God. And so the question then starts to be, well, what is this armor? You're talking about this armor, putting on this armor. Well, then what is it? And this is what we're getting into now is he's saying, this is the armor. And the first piece that he talks about is a belt of, of truth. I think the King James and probably new King James and stuff says, gird up your loins in truth, which is the same thing to gird up your loins is to put your clothes into your belt uh, is what, what's being talked about there. And so Paul goes in to start using this metaphor of a soldier. And one of the first things that we talked about Sunday is why did he why did he do this? And you have to remember for some of Paul's life, he's chained to a soldier. He's under arrest. And that's part of it. So for 24 hours, he's chained to this soldier. He he's seen soldiers. No doubt his audience has seen soldiers. It would be something that they would recognize uh, very clearly. But also the Old Testament speaks a lot like this as well. Uh, Isaiah does this that talks about righteousness as a breastplate. Or I read a passage in Isaiah talking about how those who uh, speak the gospel uh, bring peace and how it's part of their feet, how, how blessed they are. And we see that how we're supposed to put on like a sandal or a shoe that is the gospel of peace later. And so this isn't really something that Paul's just coming up with that he's making up like, oh, I see this soldier and this would work. I think this analogy would really work out. I don't think that's what's happening here. Paul's using his uh, brilliance with the Old Testament, which he definitely had in his training growing up, 
and saying, look how this has been fulfilled. We see this happening in Christ of which you are in. And that's why you then have this full armor. And so I think this is why Paul goes to talk about this. And uh, another danger, I think, is to get too caught up on the, uh, what's the word? Get too caught up on the peace that he's talking about. By peace, I mean P-I-E-C-E. So like the belt, like we were just joking, what kind of belt was it? Is it a leather belt? Is Is it a suede belt? Is it a cloth belt? What kind of shoes are we talking about? The sword, you know, is it a double-edged sword? Well, yeah, cuts to the bone of merit. I mean, we really get in to the to this thing, and I think we have to be careful with that because there are some other places in Scripture, and I read this in the New Testament, First Thessalonians five eight, where Paul references like a piece of armor, but gives a different uh, truth to it. Right, so it might not be the belt of truth, belt of righteousness, or something, and so we have to be careful trying to really pinpoint exactly what he means by why is truth the belt right or this and so i just want us to be careful with that as we as we continue on because i think we can get lost into that but paul starts to talk about truth and this is where i had my hardest time studying if i'm being honest and i don't know if you guys have studied or preached this passage at all but i struggled with it because you have the belt of truth but at the, at the end you have the sword which is uh, from the spirit but it's the word of god and so i was having trouble differentiating how the belt is different than the sword. That was my first struggle when reading. It's like how, if we're going to, if I'm going to sit here and just talk about the truth, I'm going to have to talk about the word of God. That is the truth. But then you also have the word of God here. And so how is this different? I don't know if you guys, have you guys ever thought about that? Have you ever, would you have any thoughts off the top of your head? I almost asked you guys, but you guys were all busy last week and I didn't want to, and I was almost sick sick children so. i mean honestly no i know i had never thought of that before because i've never studied and taught mm-hmm. uh, this passage but yeah it's a conundrum what did you find in your studies <laughs> <laughs> yes i found some who again who who i felt were trying to use the imagery a little too much i can't remember who it was it might have been boyce james montgomery boyce or something which he tends to do a little more than i'm comfortable with but he was like well this truth is talking about like a relative truth, a, a truth in God's word, a truth in Christ and being truthful yourself, kind of how I had talked about. He said, now the sword and the word is different. Remember Jesus being tempted by the devil. He used the sword to poke and prod with specific passages. And so you need to know how to use your weapon, which is the Bible, so that when Satan comes at you, you then quote scripture to Satan, and that's why he flees, and that's how he will flee, because he doesn't want to be in the presence of the word of God. And so to the, to him, that was the difference. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I wasn't fully convinced. He was the only one that differentiated them? No, that said it in that way. Oh, okay. uh, some of the older ones, um, Luther, Calvin, some of those guys before, uh said because the word of god's coming up it has nothing to do with that it just means specifically um living truthfully being a person of truth uh but again their argument's kind of hard because the only way to live truthfully is to know the truth of the word of god and i'm not saying they didn't say that at all but that's just it seems like that's where a lot of the older commentators went as you got past them 
and more recent, meaning the last 300 years or whatever, <laughs> it started to change to where I started to see more commentators saying kind of what I did is like, I don't know how you can separate the two and just living in the midst of that. Like, mm-hmm. just let's just live in both. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and all these things actually, not simply those two, but all of the things that yeah. he describes, there's considerable overlap. I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, truth righteousness, the gospel of peace, um, faith, salvation, the word of God, all of those things have to do with um, Christ and his salvation. Because earlier, Paul, right, I mean, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, uh, says when talking about the truth, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation mm-hmm. and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So there you got truth, gospel. the word, gospel, salvation, all tied together. And maybe the point overall in, in Ephesians here is not necessarily to so distinguish between all of these various aspects, but is to see the way that the one word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, impacts you in various ways so the idea of the belt is is maybe the distinguishing characteristics are to see the way in which this this prepares you in so many different ways as a person um so the gospel is christ and his gospel or the the armor is christ and his gospel and here's all the various ways in which it allows you to stand firm um and the belt is the first way so i don't know i I would I would be tempted to see considerable overlap between between these various things. Yeah, there's going to have to be. I mean, like you said, I'm going to try to do each of these individually. You know, belt of truth, righteousness, um, the gospel of peace. But how do I separate the gospel of peace from the helmet of salvation? Right. <laughs> I mean, you can't. We can't do that. Right. You know, and so I, there's definitely going to be overlap, but I think it's worth looking at each one individually, and it's probably then beneficial to see the overlap, mm-hmm. you know, to, to understand that, is there is no salvation apart from the gospel of mm-hmm. peace. Mm-hmm. We don't know the gospel unless we had the truth, the word mm-hmm. of God, right? Uh, so it could be uh, a little repetitive over the next few weeks. I mean, we're going to take a break for Palm Sunday and Easter and stuff, but I think that's okay, mm-hmm. that, just so that we can really grasp fully uh, what Paul's talking about here. So so anyways, speak sticking with truth. I said that both options is like is is this a truth we carry within us so that we must be truthful people or is it a truth outside of us like Jesus is the truth that we must trust in. And I, again, I said I, I don't there's debate on both sides, good points on both sides, but I, I think we can sit in the middle and and say yes uh, to both of, to both of those options. Uh, to see that we yes we trust in Jesus who he is what he's done what he continues to do but that and that should change us to be truthful people when we really trust in him and what and what he has done and and so truth is a interesting thing today uh, truth seems to be different and I guess I should give a caveat to that there are aspects of truth that are different for people so what I mean by that is truthfully, I usually don't want to eat a sandwich because I don't like them. But truthfully to one of you, you love sandwiches. And so that is your truth, right? You like the sandwich. I don't really want the sandwich. (laughs) It is true to you that you like sandwich. It's true to me that I don't really want the sandwich. And so I, I should have probably pointed that out yesterday. Like, no, this is just truth for everybody, right? And that's how the world is. It's not, we, we all know that not everything is black and white. 
But there is truth. There has to be, there has to be absolute truth in order for life to function. And I, I wanted people to grasp that and to understand that. And I didn't know if I said it well enough. I kind of gave an example of like trying to do construction and I have a truth and you have a truth of what 12 inches is. And that's a problem. We're going to really struggle to build the house. And it's the same with the world. And, and I mean, it's interesting to me that we struggle with truth so much in our society when science is so lifted up. And what is science supposedly doing? Yeah. Trying to find truth of mathematics and uh, physics and all these different things. Um, but we still seem to struggle with this fact that there can be truth out there. Um, maybe you guys know more historically of why this is. Uh, but I don't know. I've heard it with like the French Revolution plays a lot into that. That's made its way down to us. Um, obviously, technology and our technological advances have shown uh, that it changes thoughts maybe that we've had before. And so then we worried about the truth. Well, it's interesting that, I mean, the reality is anyone who would say that there's not such thing as absolute truth, they don't believe that. Right. I mean, they, they can say it, but they don't live like that. Because that statement is an absolute <laughs> truth. Yes. Yeah, right. It's a, it's a I mean, contradiction. And so, and it's, in, I mean, where you see that happen is, is where people have mixed the lines between, like the example you gave about the sandwich. Like, I get your example, but it's not a good example because what you're talking about there is a preference, not a truth. Mm-hmm. You know, and where where this comes into play when it when it comes to religion and faith. But I think is, that's where we've got really mixed up is people don't understand the difference between preference and truth. Yeah. Yes, right. that's what we, I was going to say. And that's what that's why I'm just trying to say like because that's where a lot of fights happen. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and, yeah, I know you have this preference. Yeah, and you're getting so angry over your preference that it's not my preference. Yeah, <laughs> and so and so what people I think elect to do is to say incoherent statements like there is no such thing as absolute truth Mm -hmm. you can say that and still live however you want to and just ignore what a person believes or thinks uh so long as you don't try to change what other people believe and that's really where people get angry and the argument of truth comes out because if my truth says that your truth is wrong and that i should try to change you that's what people don't like, mm-hmm. is in, and that's what you said in your sermon. You even got to that point of where my truth says something to you that you ought to do this, and uh, people don't like that. Yeah, C.S. Lewis talks about how you know relativism falls apart because if you go on the bus and someone's in your seat, you get mad because that's your <laughs> that's your you're in my seat, and so absolute truth right there is like that. Hey, that's you know, and so he makes a point about how people can't live logically when it comes to like thinking that everything is relativistic because we have opinions and we, we believe in certain truths. Like, Hey, I believe this is my seat and you've taken it. And so it falls apart. And so I think you made that good point that it's like, you know, just the the physics, you know, and just the, the, the way the world works, you cannot live in that without any rules or any boundaries or guidelines because it just doesn't it's chaos mm-hmm. and uh, yet people say when it comes to faith or comes the bible well it's it's okay if you believe it but i'm not you know and it's it's it falls apart and part of the problem too is is, a, is um and this is getting us a little off but is helping people understand what the word faith means yeah, right because most people think of that as a blind leap into faith like i just 
I just jump and blindly leap off of this and to believe this. But actually, faith is confidence based upon evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, you exercise faith every day whenever you get in your car and drive and stop at a stop sign or whatever you you're 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 whenever you cross a crosswalk you're exercising faith because you're looking and you're saying I'm going to have faith that if I cross this um, because this is true there's no cars coming right now and I can safely get across we're exercising faith in something all the time based upon real evidence and truth around us mm-hmm. and so um, yeah I think the reality is is, is there's a couple of things it, people are inconsistent. Second of all, they suppress the truth in unrighteousness um, because they don't live this way. There is truth, and they act as if there's truth. And second of all, they, they suppress it in unrighteousness where right. they're trying to get rid of the, um, the evidence and the truth that is really there. So mm-hmm. we're not unbiased in how we interpret the facts and the evidence either or the truth of Scripture. So. Yeah, this push against sin or push against everything truth is is sin, and so when you talk about relativism, you know, I'm just my mind just goes down the rabbit hole of that. Is if everybody would just follow the truth of God's word, there would be no sin. And so you think about like things in our world that people talk about a lot nowadays. Racism is one that comes to my mind. You hear about it all the time, you know, race relations and and these mm-hmm. different things. Well, what causes what causes racism? It's a preference, right? It's a thought about a person or a type of people that comes into your mind. And it's like, well, if you go to the truth, which we would say is the word of God, you start to learn something about people. A big one is they're all made in the image of God. Well, then that has an impact on how you treat all people. Mm-hmm. Well, you start to have these preferences, right? And But but we start to live or die by these preferences. It, it's funny, you know, you, you see it in the sports world, Uh I have teams that I just despise and I hate and I never want to see them win. And then I start to think, why do I hate them? (laughs) And the reason I hate them is the same reason they hate my team. We have the same hatred for each other's teams for the same reasons, because they win sometimes against us, right? They get better players than us. And you start to think how foolish it is uh, when you really start to break it down, when when you're looking at it from a truth perspective of how silly that is to really hate them. Chances are, if I sat with this person, we'd get along just fine. I'd see them as a human being, and things would start to change. But we let our preferences become become truth, and we really let that start to affect us and impact us in ways much bigger than the sports world. Uh, but we do it, I'm sure, at work. We do it in our families. Uh, and that's why staying staying on truth is so important. I think that's why Paul brings it up first, is truth is where we're grounded. And so when we look at God and who he is, I thought it was important for us to see, and we've been doing this on Sunday nights, talking about the attributes of God. One of the attributes of God is God is truth. And so we see the fact in, in Scripture that when it talks about God, it talks about God as Trinity. We see an instance where God the Father is described as truth. We see where Jesus the Son says, I am the truth. We see an instance in the New Testament again where the Holy Spirit is referred to as the truth. And so the whole Godhead is, is truth. God is truth. It's not God is truthful. It's not God likes truth. God is truth. And if that's the case, if God is truth, then the, the things of God are truth. And we have to then know what those are. Because also what we have in the word of God, and this, this has some people struggling, is that God is unchanging. God says, I'm an unchanging God. Well, that's a good thing because he is truth. If he wasn't truth, that'd be a problem. And that's the problem we have with a lot of people in the world today. 
is you're not willing to change. You're also not full of truth. That's a problem because you need to change. Uh, me too. I need to change. And we talk about that on Sunday mornings all the time. And this is probably what some of our congregation and people get sick of going to church for. It's because like the pastor keeps telling me how bad I am. It's like, well, yeah, we all are. We serve a savior who's perfect and loves us and is molding us and making us into his image. And so we need to change more into the truth. But we have a God of, of truth and he's given us his word and declared his truth to us. But I thought it was also important for us to see in 1 Corinthians, uh, there's a passage there in chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, where the Apostle Paul points out for us and for the church that he's writing to, the world is going to push back against the truth. Just just know that you're going to be seen as foolish. Um, but he also gives a promise in there. Listen, God is much bigger, much wiser than anything that is wise of mankind. Uh, and so this is something for us to remember as Christians, as we try our best to hold on to the truth, um, to know that we serve a God who is perfect. Mm -hmm. And what I think is scary, maybe we can discuss this a little bit. I thought about bringing it up, but I didn't, is how do we determine as Christians when to take a stand and claim it to be truth versus saying, maybe I got this wrong. My example would be homosexuality, right? There's been a lot of pushback from Christians who say homosexuality is actually okay. We would argue you are pushing the truth. You're pushing aside the truth. And so you have a group claiming to be truth. You have a group over here claiming to be truth. How do we handle that? How do we, how do we deal with that? And we might not solve that answer here right now, but I'm just I'm just curious of what you guys would say because I'm sure maybe some people thought about that. You know, it's like, well, there's this church down the road over here, and they do this, but my church says it's wrong. What's going on? How do we how do we deal with this? Well, the first thing I would say before we go is I think we all have to be willing to say we're wrong sometimes and know that. And I don't think we do that enough as Christians. We get very belligerent, we get very bullheaded, and we try to use the Bible as our battering ram. And when we start looking back, it's like, oh, maybe I was wrong. <laughs> I didn't really know it that well. I really didn't study Scripture. I, I was thinking of something I had just heard in the past or it's something I'd always heard, and that's what I base this on. Um, so first of all, I think we have to be careful with that. Mm -hmm. Sure. I, I guess I separate. This might be where you're going with this question. I'm not sure, though. There's two different parts of answering that question. Where do we go to determine what is truth? Well, the first place we go, obviously, is God's Word. His Word is truth. And so if, it, if God's Word has something to say about a topic, then that is clearly our answer of what we are going to submit to as being the truth. The, but the second part of that question is, well, then what, do, what are we as Christians called to do about it? That might be more what you're getting at in terms of our society. And like you said, when when do we take a stand? What does that look like to take a stand for the truth? Does it mean political action against legislation, um, protests, things like that in our country? That's a different question, I think. No, I just mean within my own conscience is as I struggle sitting in the pew and I know raging on is this discussion of what is truth. And when it comes... 
I guess it could lead to, to something else, which maybe maybe we will. But how can I be comfortable sitting in my church pew knowing that this is where the stand is taken in Scripture for X thing that's going on in society? You know what I mean? And I can be comfortable sitting here saying this is the right thing to do, right? This is actually what Scripture is saying. And so in our heritage, Southern Baptist life, there were many pastors who would have used Scripture to say, let's keep slavery, let's keep doing this thing, which we would then say, looking now, like, they made a mistake. Mm -hmm. That wasn't a good thing, Mm -hmm. right? We don't want to find ourselves in that situation. I don't want to have to look back and say, oh, man, I really blew, blew that one. And so I'm talking more conscience-wise, more internal as an individual of, of that. And I know it's a tough, a tough question. Um, maybe while you guys think of it, this is where I go, is uh, number one, we have to know the most important truths, I guess, first and foremost. And so that's where our heritage as Christians goes back 2,000 years, and we have a lot of help there that we really need to know and to be willing to weed through and not to sit here today and think we're much smarter than everybody else. But there are Christians that have gone before us that have wrestled with things that we don't wrestle with anymore because they did and we hold to it. So like I already talked about, God is Trinity. That's a truth that's vital to scripture that if you start to go outside of that, you're starting to get outside of Orthodox Christian. You're not a Christian then, right? or the virgin birth, or what is the atonement, who is Christ, his deity and his humanity and how them come together. These are things that are truth that can't be fought. And so first and foremost, I would say you need to have a good basis as a as a believer on those those truths, right? Of what, what are those historically? What have they been? And, and they've been handed down to us. And so there's actually not a ton of work I would say you would have to do it. We've talked about this some, but there's creeds out there, there's confessions out there that are extremely helpful to answer those questions, to help me to say, okay, I believe I'm an Orthodox Christian. I believe all of these things. Well, then other things come up. Homosexuality would be one of them Mm -hmm. to where I would say it's a big issue, right? And we need to discuss it and you need to wade through it. But again, I think you have to go historically, what has the church believed? You then as an individual have to be willing to put work in, to study the word of God, to read it, read the passages that pertain to that, read, take the whole counsel of God as well and try to get an understanding, um, and then be faithful to read pros and cons or whatever and wade into it. And it's uncomfortable, it's difficult, but you're trying to seek out truth right in this in in all of this and i I think we have to be willing to do that and i think sometimes christians are scared to do that because they're afraid i think they're afraid sometimes they're going to find out that the bible just starts unraveling (laughs) and that's not the case Mm -hmm. it's really not the case yeah what i was gonna i mean you bring up a good point about we have a history and we have other things that are uh, that kind of determine our orthodoxy as Christians. And most of the time, what you're actually going to find, like using just the example you've given about homosexuality, the issue with a person and the reason that they believe that homosexuality is permissible usually doesn't have anything to do with their understanding of biblical sexual ethics. Mm-hmm. 
it actually has a lot more to do with what they believe about the doctrine of the Word of God. And is this truth? And am I, uh, am I required to believe this? There's usually somewhere along the lines, I mean, the same theologians that would say homosexuality is permissible are also going to say, is the Word of God, you know, the word that we would use, inerrant, meaning without error and completely true? Uh, they would probably say no. That there are some errors in it, or they would they would do exegetical gymnastics to get around some things. And so what they're doing at that point is they they would be reading and interpreting the words of the New Testament in a very individualistic way, in a way that they would never interpret a letter that they received from their grandmother. Um, that that usually is the root problem of that. And I think when this happens, I mean, so homosexuality is a a good example for this because when this tends to happen when a christian finds themselves confronted with this issue of something that's taught in scripture it's that and they don't know if they believe it or not or if they can follow that is because they've they're making a transition from being towards the majority in the culture around them towards the minority and they're receiving pressure from their family or from their friends of you know one of their friends comes out as gay um and they have to then make a decision. I've never had to really take a stand on this before. That is where you're not really going to find out what you believe about homosexuality. What you're going to find is, what do I believe about the Bible and about God's Word? That's really what's at stake uh, in that sense. Very good, Scott. I think you're right, because I think um, <clears throat> the comforting thing Christians should take to heart is that if you really do want to know what the Bible says about the most important things, like we talked about the Trinity, who Jesus is, um, salvation, the basics of salvation, and then major moral issues, for instance, homosexuality, the Bible is stunningly clear about those issues. The question really isn't what the Bible says. The question is, is will I receive what the Bible says? Um and so, you know, I think I was just reading an, uh, an article by uh, John Murray who was talking about the sufficiency and the finality of Scripture. And we have to resolve in our minds whether or not the, the thus saith the Lord, the Holy Spirit speaking in the Word of God and through Scripture, whether or not that is the final word or not. And so I think that's a great point, Scott, because that's really where I get the difficulty I don't think is so much in what the Bible says on those big issues. Now, there are issues where the Bible, uh, even right, Peter says, some things Paul writes are difficult to understand. So there are parts of the Bible that are in the the, the other things that are not the biggest issues that are that we can have discussions about and we, we have to wrestle through and think through um, and maybe never come to a real firmer um uh, you know, resolution. Um, but on those big issues, the Bible's very plain. We just have to ask ourselves, what is this book? And where did it come from? What role should it play in my life? The difficulty really comes with, uh, yeah, me receiving it even to a world that doesn't receive that truth. And that's, that's a hard, that is a hard thing. Yeah. And that's not, we don't make light of that, but yeah. that's really where the question I think comes to. Yeah. And making up your mind about what is true and what is right for that specific moral issue, that's even different from then taking 
and applying that to, well, then how then am I going to act in the world? Yeah. How am I now going to relate to my friend that just came out or my family right. member right. that has invited me to their wedding? Right. Mm-hmm. What am I going to do with that? Right. That is where wisdom yeah. and prudence comes in. The Bible doesn't give explicit instructions about how to relate to that person now other than to offer them the truth right um but uh but yeah that's that maybe i think is sometimes what people are more looking for it's like well what do i do Mm. not necessarily what do i believe um that's Mm -hmm. the that's the really hard part about that good point good point and this is what brings us i mean this discussion is kind of what leads to the question asked at the end of the sermon is do you believe in the truth of God? That's the question. And that's the question that you can only really answer as an individual. I can't answer that for you. You can you can trick people. You can say you can have a cross tattooed on your arm. You can wear a cross around your neck. You can come to church. But the fact is, is do you believe in the truth? Um, to say it how we would say it to a kid. Have you built your house on the rock or have you built your house on the sand? Right. The wise man builds his house upon the rock. Well, why is that? Because when the storm comes and the waves get up, the foundation doesn't move. Well, when we are people who kind of believe the Bible, that's a problem because we don't know what part then is rock, what part is sand. And we we hear new things coming our way all the time from academia, from media, from whatever it might be. And we're like, man, maybe, maybe it is all made up. I don't know. You know, and it starts to mm-hmm. wash away. Mm-hmm. And the question has to be, be has to be there to say do you believe that god is truth do you believe that he's given us his word and that this is truth and i when i worked with teens um and i guess adults do the same i say that a lot about teens but they would have questions about like how did we get the bible how do we know that the these books are the books right and that those are actually really good questions they are and i think those are questions that are asked by a lot of people but then nobody does the work to say, well, let's find out, right? Because when you start to wade into that stuff, you start to see some truths historically and factually, scientifically even, that's like starts to prove what you had said about faith, about the evidence shows the Bible's pretty accurate, right? The Bible's pretty true. The Bible's pretty good on eyewitness accounts. And mm-hmm. so if I believe what Luke had to say about Jesus and that he died and that he rose again. We're, we're talking about a man rose again mm-hmm. from death. Mm-hmm. That's a big deal. Yep. Right. And so when you start to see how the Bible was put together and we start to say, okay, this is something I believe is done by the work of God. I believe the Holy spirit has a hand on this. Therefore I believe this whole thing. Right. Like you were saying, Scott, this starts to change the way you think when a, when a problem approaches you, it's not, oh, my foundation is going away. It's, I need to rely on my foundation. What does it say? Let's read it. And then that goes into what we don't have time to talk about, learning how to study the Bible, yeah. right? Yeah. We, you guys were talking before way over my heads about Hebrew and Greek and how you have had to, you know, you're talking about wading into that stuff to really get good at uh, knowing scripture, but God's been so kind to us that he's given us men and women through the years who are really good at Greek and Hebrew and have written books to help people like me to study and to know. This week I had somebody come to me. It was actually interesting. I thought you might hit on it Sunday night, but you didn't. Uh, They were asking me about spiritual gifts. What's the church believe about spiritual gifts? And I'm like, what do you mean? 
I knew where they were going. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't yeah. just spiritual gifts in general. So, well, what about prophecy and, and tongues? And does this church even believe in the Holy Spirit? I never hear you talk about the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, we definitely talk about the Holy Spirit quite a bit. You you mentioned the Holy Spirit in your sermon. I did. I know. I'm like, <laughs> I mentioned it in my sermon, how the Holy Spirit's truth yeah. and how we're filled with the Spirit completely. I said this whole Ephesians series, talked about that. Um, but it was actually good because I'm like, the questions you're asking are great, but I'm not going to sit here and give you all these answers. I said, would you be willing if I got the other pastors and myself and we got you some resources to study? I said, because I've been here before. I've been in the same position you've been in where I start to think, why do I always, why have I always believed this or, or thought this? And so for myself wanting to grapple with that and how God has walked me to the point to say, this is, this is truth. What he's saying is truth. And I need to base everything off of his word. And what does it say? Even when it makes me uncomfortable or I know that my parents aren't going to like the answer, mm-hmm. you know, or, or whatever it might be. Um, and so just encouraging that person, like you need to do the work in the study so that you can have that foundation, not because of me, not that I'm your foundation, but you, God has, <laughs> I actually said the Holy Spirit has showed you the mm-hmm. truth because that's his, that's his job. Mm-hmm. That's what he does. Yeah. Um, and so there's, a, there is an aspect of a lot of work. Yeah. I mean, I mean, in Acts, right. The noble Bereans who examine the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so they're commended, um, and believers as you know, we're, we're to follow, we're commended to follow that example, mm-hmm. to examine the scriptures, yeah. to ask those questions. Um, yeah, yeah. And to do that hard work, but it, it you're right. It does take, it takes diligence. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. um, and, and also just also coming to church. I yeah. mean, cause mm-hmm. God uses your private reading of the Bible. You're asking questions, your Christian fellowship, but also preaching, um, well, that was interesting all those different about, things. about this conversation. You know, I've had this conversation with people before as well. It's like, whatever it might be, you know, the church never talks about, like this example, the Holy Spirit. It's like, well, were you here a few weeks ago? Uh, specifically talked about the <laughs> Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in this because of this passage. Oh, I wasn't here that week. Did you come on Sunday nights? We're talking about like the attributes of God. I kind of went through some of the, I don't, I don't really come on Sunday nights. Mm-hmm. I mean, but you're making a definitive statement that the church doesn't believe. It's like, but like you said, just come to church and you would have been taught at least somewhat. Those, and those are part of the tools that God uses yeah, to help sure. us to understand mm-hmm. better the Bible. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We're not, I, I am not the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit uses other people, mm-hmm. uses the role of pastor and teachers. I mean, he uses that um, by opening up what the Bible says. Yeah. And I think God gives us those as safeguards because something this individual was saying too, and I was very thankful. was like when I was saying you need to study on your own said, well, I have fear of that because I don't know if what I'm reading comes from good sources. And it's like, that's That's, very wise actually, especially about the Holy spirit. That's what I was going to say. And that's what I said. Don't Google book about the Holy spirit. It'll probably be a bad one. But what I said, (laughs) what I, what I told this person was, yeah, but you've made the right steps, and I think it's actually the most God-honoring step is you went to your pastor. Yes. And that's my job. Yeah. My job is to help you now guide you to good sources. And, you know, back to your point too, Scott, like with homosexuality, we're, we're living in a context now where people have friends or family members that are are 
coming out and saying, this is me, this is, I was born this way, whatever. And we, as a church, can can kind of come alongside and say, okay, here's where we can help. You know, you got to do the work. You know, Spencer, you're right. You got to do the work where it's like, here's some resources, here's what scripture teaches. And so they are forced to, this is back to your thing about, now we know what we, know what we believe, but what do we do about it? It's like when you know, working with Muslim people, you know, refugees and stuff, Christians would be like, you know, I just want to like, they're, they're, you know, this and that. And say, like, okay, do you even know about what they believe? You know, and just understanding, you know, how you can build bridges into their lives. Because now it's like you're, now you have a Muslim kid in your class, you know, or, you know, a Palestinian family that lives down the street from you. And so that's the question. And I think to this guy that talked about spiritual gifts, we can kind of come alongside and say, here's, here's where we can help you. But they've got to be willing to take that step instead of just being like, whoa, you know, this person, this, this group, you know, and doesn't do any good. So. Yeah. And go back to like the teens. You hear from teens all the time. I was never told that in my church before, you know, and it's <laughs> like, yeah. Yes, you were. Yeah. You just good to punch you in the face. Yeah. You just didn't do the study on your own, right? You didn't take ownership of it, and that's that's what I'm asking when I ask that question. Like, do you believe in the truth? Mm-hmm. Where you've took ownership on it, you've trusted in Christ fully. You trust in the Word of God, because that's what Jesus says when He says, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through Me." And we we know this verse. Many people can memorize it or whatever, but it's like, do you understand the gravity of what He's saying there? He is it. He's the truth, and your life must be firmly in him and him alone, nothing else. And so that changes our worldview. That changes how we answer questions. It's a big deal, and you got to be ready for the consequences. And Jesus told us about the consequences over and over again. Mm-hmm. Be ready because the world's not going to like this, and we're not supposed to be haughty about it. We're not supposed to be braggy about it, prideful about it, because it's not ours anyways. It's something that was given to us, which you talked about a lot last night mm-hmm. in your sermon, Pastor Spencer. So anyway, anything else on truth? You got any truth? <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, well, any facts? Um, <clears throat> any truthful facts? No, I don't have <laughs> no, anything I, to offer. Some there. sports is going to come out. Oh, no, yeah. it's not. I, w- I was going to say uh, that we live in a day and an age in a time of history when more resources are out there and available and accessible for you to actually do this study that we've been talking about that have not been available for the vast majority of human history. Like you actually have an opportunity listener to, to do this. And it's just a matter of whether or not you're going to, Mm -hmm. and whether or not you're going to actually like do what we said, come to your pastor that, I mean, all of us have studied these things in some extent, maybe not in depth, but if we don't know, I'll Pastor Spencer knows a lot about this. Pastor Dave knows a lot about this. Pastor Tim knows a lot about this. Go talk to him. Or at least being, being willing to join you in that yeah. search and like, yeah. let me yeah. do some work over the next couple of weeks yeah. and I'll get back with you. Yeah. You yeah. know, and yeah, mm-hmm. because we probably have more experience in knowing where, yeah, that website's really bad. Don't go to that. Yes. One. This author. No, don't yeah. read that. Right. This author. Yeah. Maybe, maybe pretty good. I don't see eye to eye with everything, but sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a good one to read. Yeah. You know, I'm, so even that. Yeah, but just getting people in that mindset and mentality to put in the work. I mean, you mentioned teens, and that that's one of my main goals. I mean, when working with the youth here at our churches, this is the time of, the, of your life where you are either going to make a transition to you're putting work and effort into your faith, or you're probably going to fall flat 
somewhere at some point. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's that's a transition that needs to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's for everybody to make that choice. Well, good. Well, next week we'll be looking at the rest of verse 14. Uh, talking about righteousness, the breastplate of, of righteousness, and what is righteousness? What does that mean? How do we obtain righteousness? I'm sure all of that's going to be a part of, of the message. Haven't had a chance to write it all out yet, but looking forward to that this week. Hopefully you'll be there this Sunday, uh, Lord willing. Uh, but I'd encourage you, as always, to, to read ahead. Uh, but thank you for listening today. I hope you have a blessed week.